Hello and welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about why does John hate politics <laughs> and whether he should or shouldn't hate politics and why politics should even matter to Christians. Yeah. Or why why John has a distaste for politics. <laughs> maybe Hate's a strong word, hate but, I, strong but word. I talk to you all the time about this and I know that hate is the appropriate word. Mm. Disregard. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. Something like that. Anyway, before we dive into all that, Why they make it's John story time with John. Give me, a little, give me a little story, John. It's your turn to tell a story or a joke. Okay. Well, we decided last week that we can tell jokes. Yes. And I figured I'll tell the first joke. I'll, I'll okay. kick it off. Yeah. All right. It's a doozy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this, uh, this rope walks into a bar, a piece of rope. And you're going to have to di- suspend your, you know, disbelief. For my intellect. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Turn my brain off. Right. Go back to cartoon time with John. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It, anyways. It's good. Was there it's, a Power Ranger involved? Is there a. You're ridiculous. It's just a joke. <laughs> okay. Man. So a rope walks into a bar. Yeah, hecklers, I tell you. A rope walks into a bar. And the bartender says, hey, man, ropes aren't allowed here. Get out. You're not allowed in this bar. Get out of here. <laughs> and so the rope goes back outside, and he's so mad. And he's just like, how in 2019, how can this be? And he ties himself up, and he's ripping his hair out. He's so angry. And he storms back in there. And the the bartender says, you know, hey, aren't you that same rope that I that I just kicked out of this bar? And the rope says, no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's terrible, man. That's like a dad joke. That's you can't tell dad this jokes. Is, You're way too this young. This is father and son conversation. Yeah, but you can't tell dad. We got to give the people what they want. <laughs> they're crying for it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, okay. You should read the comments. Well, they, it, <laughs> okay. Well, if we're gonna have a joke contest, I'm telling you, I'm gonna win because. You know, you lost me at a rope walks into a bar. One well, piece of rope with no feet walks into a bar. I was already lost. You save it for next week, I'm but you got to tell something. Not. <laughs> I bet you get killed. We can't. We can't hear anybody, but I bet you they're laughing. Uh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Okay, so let's get to our subject today. And the subject today is why does John hate politics? Tell me, John, why do you have a distaste, displeasure, lack of interest, mm-hmm. or any passion for politics? Man. Where to start? Uh, first off, apologies to uh, any of my professors or mentors <laughs> that might hear this because they are all very politically engaged. Yeah. Um, really, I it might just be, if I could be candid, that I am easily swayed by uh, or eas- easily dismayed by, by politics. It's easier for me to, you know, see a headline or see stuff going on and just get so wrapped up in it. And uh, and it 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 leads to me viewing people as others than myself and, and getting caught up in ideology that really doesn't matter at all to the, uh, the kingdom of God or, or the, the important stuff about or what I would call the important stuff about, um, my life and my, my purpose. So for instance, if something, you know, I see a headline about, uh, you know, um, well, I guess that would be politics is me talking specifics. Right. I see a headline that that I disagree with or, or dismays me. And I then now I'm angry at, at a group of people or right. persons who have this ideology. I'm scared 
and I'm not thinking about the things of God. So really, the, the tension for me is because I don't. I obviously have an easy time not tuning in, right. but the tension for me is one scripturally, God says to uh, fix your eyes and your fix your mind on the things of God, okay. and, and you know whatever is uh, I should have memorized whatever is you know um, holy and and right. pure. Set you your know. mind on things above, not on things of this exactly. world. Yeah. So in a way, I feel uh, allowed to do this. But the tension is, <laughs> the tension is, uh, is, is it irresponsible for me to just tune out? Right. You know, am, I, right. am I not listening to people who uh, could need, need my help? And if I ever find myself in uh, opportunity to talk faith with these people, will I come off as just aloof and uneducated and uncaring? Sure. You know. So I think you just gave us an outline for our conversation. Yeah. One would be, why is politics so frustrating? Two would be, is it okay to neglect politics? What's the price of that? And is it okay to be, uh, can you be a legitimate Christ follower and a good citizen if you ignore politics? Yeah. And then what's the risk of that for our country and stuff and all that? So, uh, and what, what might be the proper level of engagement for someone who wants to walk closely with Jesus? Sure. Uh, and be in that. So let's, and, let's first. And is ahead. there an improper level of engagement? Cause. Uh, oh, sure. Like, could it become too big a deal for you? Right. Okay. Well, when I think about your disdain for it and how it discourages you, it actually, it creates, you mentioned the word fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious what you would be afraid of, that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, like this is all going to be terrible. Well, not necessarily. So it's almost, uh, well, we, we read this psalm actually recently um, in that, uh, you know, not to rejoice or not to fear when the plans of the wicked mm-hmm. um, succeed. Um, but I guess I guess that is the fear. It's kind of a, a fear that that um, evil is going to take over the country, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, but then then I think scripturally that's almost guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to get into the sovereignty question, and that's that that's, is something that's we're going to have. That's episode. a different podcast, and we're eager to have it because it's a we really are. significant conversation. Yeah. But um, when I think about you know that it's frustrating to you, there's some research I just saw that, about the way Americans are feeling about political conversations, because one Mm. of the things that's maddening is that uh, there appears to be no ability to solve problems because everything sticks partisan. Even these, you know, you think of the Supreme court justice hearing where the guy's accused of sexual misconduct and those poor women, um, the, the truth or fallacy of their story, the, the, the hurt that they've endured in their lives uh, to whatever degree that was. And frankly, it seems impossible for us to know uh, how much was truth and how much wasn't, but it was, Mm. everything was so politically motivated that there wasn't one person on the right. Who's going to even consider that this guy might've done this because the political stakes are too high. And then the people on the other side are using this poor woman for political purposes, not general, gen, not genuine compassion for her story. And so you see that and you see this, uh, you know, it, you, you hear debates and arguments and it feels like these people can't solve a single problem. We got real <laughs> problems. And if they would just yeah. work together, we could solve some big, you know, we could make some progress. Yeah. So this research indicated that, um, the vast majority of Americans land somewhere in the middle between left and right, you know, they're on the spectrum of political view, left mm-hmm. to right. Um, and that like 
uh, over 80% of them land within a few bars of each other. And then everybody outside of that, they call the wings. So the left wing and the right wing. Yeah. And that turns out to be a total. The wings combined total like 16 or 18% of the American population. But the problem is the wings are controlling politics. Sure. So what they call that middle, the 82% or whatever, yeah. is the frustrated majority. Mm. And I would say you strike me as a frustrated majority. Like, first of all, what news source do I go to to hear an accurate news story? Because every news agency appears to be uh, driven by a political agenda of some sort. Mm -hmm. So am I getting true untainted news? Um, so it's frustrating that people are arguing. They don't seem to be able to solve a problem. And then these radical ideas on either side, it's it's really the radical people who are driving the engine. Yeah. And I guess to take you know, a modicum of responsibility uh, as if I were to be part of the frustrated majority, the, the reason why it is a silent majority is because these people, the people, you know, me don't really care enough to shout about it. So if everyone's, if, if social media was a literal courtyard and people are on boxes and shouting, those people obviously care very much and are probably have more extreme ideas on either end, you know, the, the wings, and then 80% of people either don't care enough or don't know what they're talking about or, you know, and they're, they're not going to say anything. So, so they're either ignorant or apathetic or they don't care enough to raise their voice. Right. And I think I could, I could own up to saying that I could be all three of those things. Sure. Yeah. Well, but the fact that I have to shout to have a conversation is pretty frustrating. Well, I think, I think, and I think that's a, uh, that is a symptom of the 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 stage now being massive and global so you know if 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 this was uh 70 years ago then the stage is your town and you can mm -hmm. go to a community hearing and you could step up there and say your piece um but now the the no one cares about your town anymore the your community is at the least your country and at the most the whole planet mm -hmm. um or at least that's how it feels with the amount of communication that we have a access to yeah so I feel like now you kind of have to shout. And if you're not saying anything, if you're in the middle, you're not saying anything at all. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the vibe I get from, from the, uh, the arena right now. Yeah. So, uh, on one extreme, I got to shout. If I want to be a part of this process, I'm going to have to muster up enough energy mm -hmm. to engage on the other extreme end. I'm not even going to vote. Right. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you if you voted in the last election or if you plan to vote in the next I one. I actually, as, as much as I hate politics, I did vote in the last election. Oh, good. Yeah. Way to go. So It was a write-in, if you're curious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, you, did, you did kind of hint that um, what you would love is to have biblical permission to just disengage from the whole conversation. Yeah, and I think a, a huge... You know, our our goal, we have it easy in a way as Christians in that our perfect human life, we've, we have it in four different stories to go look at. And in the life of Jesus, we can go and see, well, how did Jesus handle this? And in this specific example, he seemed not ignorant. Uh, he seemed to know exactly what was going on, but he did not seem uh, to spend a whole lot of energy on politics. You don't see any of the disciples or Jesus wringing their hands about who the next Caesar is going to be. Right. They seem to have bigger things on their minds than that. And people who were to ask Jesus political questions, 
he would either spin it in a in a way in which he turned that into what the real problem is, mm-hmm. you know, the things of the kingdom, or he just, you know, would, you know, flip it around and so anyway, that, and even paying taxes, you know, they say, should I pay taxes to Caesar? They were trying to frame him right. and set him up. But he said, give me a coin, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. So implying that the things of this world are, they do belong to this world. Yeah. So give that to this world and give to God what is God's, which is your eternal soul and right. your worship. And, and what I take away from that is how is Jesus implying how small that is. The, the 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 things of Caesar. How nothing it is. Exactly. And like that, it doesn't even matter. Right. Obviously do your duty as a citizen and give your taxes to the government, but give your whole being and your you know, your human identity. We are the image bearers of God. So if the coin bears the image of Caesar, we bear the image of God and we should give that to him. That's Yeah, yeah so, now there's no doubt about that. Right. Right. I'm yeah, preaching to the choir obviously. But for, to take that to the extreme is that uh is is how I've taken it in that I don't want to even play ball, you know? Yeah. So back up the lens sure. and get a little bigger picture here. At the time of Jesus and at the time of all of the New Testament writings, the believers, the Jews first, and then especially Christians, were a powerless people. So they had no political power. Mm. You don't hear them talking about politics because they don't get a voice. They don't get a vote. Paul was a Roman citizen, and so he talks about politics a little bit sure. as he plays his citizenship card, and he says, hey, you can't treat a Roman citizen this way. Oh. And then he appeals to Caesar, and that's how he gets to Rome, is because he plays his citizenship card for his mission of the gospel. Interesting. But the Jews had no political power, and then the Christians are being persecuted by Nero and burned at stakes. So you're talking about writings that were written by believers at a time where there wasn't democracy for them. They had no political voice. Yeah. So no, they're not engaged in politics because they're not invited to that game. They, they, they have no voice. Sure. They're an oppressed people controlled by a governmental power. So then you got to back up the camera even further and you go to the Old Testament where God established his people as a nation. And then God has some very specific things to say to Israel about national power, national responsibility, the governance of kings, um, counsel, generosity, wisdom. God tells his people habitually through the Old Testament, I want you to always be kind to the widow, to the orphan, to the, mm. to the, um, to the foreigner, um, because you were foreigners at one time. And so God reminds them, as you become your own people and you become a powerful government of your own, yeah. I want you to remember where you came from, and I want you to use your power as a nation to reflect the heart of God. So if I see you, if, I, if I'm catching on to what you're saying, is we have a responsibility, since we do now have political power, more so than the Jews had uh, in the day of, in the, you know, the Pax Romana with the, the Hebrews at the time of Jesus, we have a responsibility to engage? Well, whenever somebody has something, they're responsible to steward that something well. So um, to whom much is given, much is required. So if you're entrusted with money, you're, you have a stewardship responsibility with money. You're given a body and health and a mind. Mm-hmm. You're given relationships. You're given sexuality. Everything you've been given carries with it a responsibility for stewarding that thing. Sure. So now you're in a country that's a democracy where you have a voice and a vote. And you are to steward that well. Hmm. 
So you can't steward that well if you disengage from the process. <laughs> right. <laughs> the question true. then is how activist should a Christian be? Is the answer to our country to put a Christian in the White House? You know, a lot of people will, will you know, that's their mission is to flood politics with Christians. And boy, there's nothing wrong with having Christians in the government. And the more of those we can have in there, the better. That's awesome. Um, but the answer to the world's problems is not politics. Right. So government is not going to solve the problems. But it can protect people. There are people who are being hurt. There are, there are people being taken uh, advantage of. When you talk about uh, matters of social justice, when you talk about things about the beginning of life and is abortion a, a legitimate option, and uh, there's just so many critical issues. We get now into uh, uh, stem cell research and partial birth abortions. And there's just so many things that that um, affect the world in which you're going to raise your children um, that it would be it would be negligent to not participate in that process. Yeah. At the same time, if you. Some people go to the other extreme and believe that we're going to change this land through the political system. And that was never the intention of Jesus. Um, What's going to change the land is revival in the hearts of human beings. Like if every human being loved God, loved each other, cared for the poor, was generous, was not greedy, blah, 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 then your your politics take care of themselves because the people in the system are healthy and kind and generous and whole. So then to go back to the, to the Oikos, you know, yeah. belief that that is your uh, first responsibility missions wise or, or influence wise is your, is your sphere. Yeah. So to be, to help those who, this might be their first yeah, podcast, sorry, the word Oikos is a Greek term in the new Testament for household. Mm-hmm. And it included your family, your neighbors, your employees, people in your traffic pattern we word it that that God has supernaturally and strategically placed you in the middle of eight to fifteen people for whom you have responsibility to influence them, and that's your oikos. Yeah. So then, say you were to minimize and say, I'll keep my eyes open to my local news, mm-hmm. and I'll treat the oikos in the community and be you know, be Christ to these people. Yeah. Um, and then disengage from the uh, national or global yeah. scale. Yeah. Would you say that's a that would be a guiltless way to do it? Well, uh, uh, I don't like I don't like guiltless. Um, maybe we would say is would that be negligent? Would that be irresponsible? Um, so that's what you're trying to say. Yeah. So um, I think that global issues matter. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, we are instructed clearly in the scriptures to pray for the prosperity of Israel. Hmm. And to pray for Jerusalem. Well, um, Israel in the, in the last 10 years has become a, a negotiable part of American policy. And um, it's important to me because of the biblical mandate that, that the United States stand with Israel as a principle. And that, that actually, um, that policy could change, not tomorrow, but it's important for us to to care about that. So yeah. I want a voice there. And um, so certainly if I vote in the national elections and I can pay attention to candidates on some on some certain subjects, like, for example, there are some people who say I'm a one issue voter. If they are pro-abortion, I'm not voting for them, period. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. 
And I can certainly build a case for that, that there's any, there's nothing more important than human life. And so I could, I can, I can certainly understand someone who makes that their single issue. Sure. Um, others might be the economy. It might be something else. So, uh, but what's going on nationally does affect your local scenario and we are responsible for this nation. So, um, our founding fathers believed that, and this is one thing that you and I are both passionate about is the press, the media, Mm -hmm. and that journalism be, um, practiced, uh, without bias and with, with, uh, responsibility. And our founding fathers believed that the key to a democracy being sustainable is an educated electorate. In other words, the people who are casting the votes need to be thinkers. They need to understand the issues. They need to be informed. And therefore, they protected journalists from being uh, controlled by the government. They have enormous um, autonomy from political control so that they can accurately inform the electorate. Hmm. So... uh, I would argue that to be a to be a responsible citizen, you have been given stu- citizenship in the United States. If you were born a Russian or a German, you should be a patriotic Russian or a patriotic German. But what God has placed you is in this country, and you have been given the gift of American citizenship. So back to the stewardship conversation, you should steward that gift. Hmm. Um, and so my... So, so you should practice that. You should steward that in a way that honors God, that reflects your values, and that, and that uses the voice, however big or small it is, that you have. Um, speaking of that voice, I asked a, I asked a, I was in a place where a guy's running for president, and I got to be in a room where he gave a speech, and and uh, we're asking questions. At the time, he was a senator, hmm. and. Um, in one of his Q and a times, he said something about, well, when I, when I see that an issue is a really hot issue, I do pay more attention to it. And so somebody asked, well, how do you know that's a hot issue? And he said, um, citizens call in, they email, they call and they say, Hey, this matters to me. So I asked the question, how many people does it take for you to know that an issue is a hot issue? Now this guy's a Senator mm-hmm. and we're not talking about a local state government, we're talking about a federal government guy who represents a multitude of people. I said, how many people need to contact you for you to know that that's a hot issue? He said, 20. Wow. If he gets 20 citizens telling him he knows that's a hot issue. That's how few people huh. are politically engaged. What that tells me is my vote is one of, you know, 200 million votes, whatever. But my voice to a senator, it matters. So as I steward my citizenship, I know that I can get engaged even a little bit with an email here, a letter there, staying, uh, staying educated, staying informed, um, and helping shape public opinion with my oikos as we have intelligent conversations about things that matter. We, as you know, you know, we meet with high school seniors at our home once a week. Mm-hmm. And every year when I meet with these seniors and we have one week where we talk about uh, citizenship and government and um, sure. almost none of them have any intention of being voters. They have no thought about politics. They don't have any idea what's going on in the country. Wow. And um, I'll ask them questions like, uh, okay, you've just been given sovereign control over the immigration policy of our country. What do you do? And they go, what? You know, they've never even thought about mm-hmm. what the right answer might be for issues of border control or legal immigration or illegal immigration, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
And they tell me every time, we don't have conversations like this at my house. And they're not thinking about it. Well, if we abdicate awareness and engagement on issues that matter to God, the wings are going to shape the decisions and the actions of our country. And our country will behave in alignment with the views of the wings. Yeah. Because they're active. So this, uh, I'm having to limit myself. We're going to talk about sovereignty on a different episode. The feeling I get there is, you know, they can only do so much against the will of God. Right. That's a great point. And so there's a, there's something, there's a wild card here. And whenever I talk to political activists about this, Mm. their hair stands up, they get really mad. And one of the things that I have, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but it's kind of way, the way my rule of thumb sure. is if I get criticized from both sides, I'm probably right where I belong. Hmm. Um, so in my, in my current world, uh, politically active Christians believe I'm too politically disengaged and politically disengaged people think maybe I care too much about this. Sure. So I know I'm kind of probably in the right spot. Um, the, you know, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days mm-hmm. and he takes him to a high spot and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you will bow to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world for they are mine to give. Yeah. For I've been given authority over them. Yes. Now, Jesus does not debate that statement. He doesn't say, well, you're full of baloney. These belong to my father. Mm-hmm. He doesn't argue the point. He just says, I'm not going to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, my question is, do, how much power does the enemy have over national governments and political movements and matters of war? And um, it appears that... Uh, that that you people will say, well, God will put whoever he wants in the White House. Mm-hmm. And that would be a sovereignty statement. You know, God's going to decide. Yeah. And and the Bible does say he lifts some people up and he puts other people down. And and um, uh, one of the Psalms, as the banks of a river guide the water, so does the hand of God guide the hearts of kings. Mm-hmm. So God can make a pagan king, Christ-honoring king. He can make a leader do what God wants uh, without that leader even having a belief in God. Sure. Um, but you don't see one ounce of New Testament in encouragement to change the world through political structures. Yeah. So your question is a good one. Um, how much sovereignty of God is involved? Um, is God going to, you know, is God going to finish this story of the human experience and wrap up the history of the world with war and whatever's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. is that inevitable? And it doesn't matter what you do politically. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? That's yeah. That's, that's basically the, that's the crux of the, of the issue. And that, and say the answer, say my, my takeaway from this is that, you know, I got to get on Twitter again, you know, <laughs> I got <laughs> to start watching the morning news, but say it, it still does. Um, make it more difficult for me to love and to be at peace with God. Is that just a rub some dirt on an issue? Is that a get tougher, get more faith or, or what do I, you know, 
Well, I, I, I do think another guiding principle for our lives is that we have a natural tendency to run from tension. I don't want to feel tension. Mm-hmm. So um, for that reason, we gravitate to extreme responses because that will eliminate the tension. Uh, I'm in conflict with this person. I hate that conflict. So I'm just going to cut and run. Yeah. Or I'm going to power up and crush them. But we choose these extreme options because we hate tension. Mm-hmm. We just hate it. It's miserable. I think life is tension. And when you find yourself in a in an issue where you are without tension, it's very possible you're in the wrong seat. So if you feel no tension about your citizenship, I feel no tension about what's going on in the world. I ha- I've checked out. I love Jesus. I'm going to put all my eggs in revival and helping people find their way to God because mm-hmm. a grassroots move of God will solve every problem. And I'm going to trust the sovereignty of God over all the political things that go on in the world. You can build a case for that. What I would say is removing the tension of your stewardship as a citizen of the United States would be a negligible, a negligent decision Sure, that you should feel some tension there and some responsibility. Yeah. But I guess, so again, the, the question is to, to what extent? So say I, I do feel tension already. Um, but that may be, uh, the engagement to an extent pushes past tension into just straight, uh, I don't know if I wouldn't go as far as to say misery, but, but, uh, confusion, the compass starts spinning in circles where it just creates more chaos in your life exactly, and not helping you or anyone else. Exactly. If the goal is to be somewhere in the middle. Well, I could, I would say then let's maybe the baseline is at least pray for your country. Hmm. And, you know, how many of us are doing that just to the, and we are called by the scriptures, pray for those in governance over you submit to the authorities. You are called by God as a citizen to submit to the authorities over you, the police, the authorities. In fact, here's the opposite of the, of Satan saying, these have been given to me Mm -hmm. is this passage says, submit to those in government in authority over you for they have been empowered by God to uh, reward good and punish evil. Yeah. So um, you do have a submission responsibility and you're also called to pray for Kings and for those in governance. So at the very least, I would say the least amount of back to what can I be, what can I be guiltless about? Sure. Uh, <laughs> that was the wrong word, <laughs> but uh, it's in there now. So I could be guiltless if I'm at least seeking God on behalf of my country and asking him to go to speak through my governors and to and to lead the political process to his end. Um, I could I, I, I must at least be doing that. Sure. And that is no least. I mean, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Uh, one question we, we were talking about um, citizenship and you said wherever you're born, be be patriotic of that country. Um, a big part of, of Jesus ministry was the um, reconciliation of of race with, with the Jews and the Gentiles and, and the sort of breaking down of those borders. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that factor in all this? Cause if we're to say, you know, there aren't borders anymore, there aren't, uh, in the kingdom of God, there aren't, uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile yeah, slave no, nor free male nor female. Yeah. There's no race. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about loving and caring for all people. 
Hmm. Um, I've thought about this a lot, and and this is my thought, and I don't have any idea if I'm right or wrong. I I think I'm fifty one percent right. <laughs> so it's still enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's more than it's more than half. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, I think that my posture on all things political as a Christian hmm. would be different than my posture on all things political if I were the president. Hmm. And and I think this would be correct. For example, as a Christian, I am not to be a nationalist that the whole world can go to hell. What matters is American prosperity. Yeah. Okay. That's not a, that's not the appropriate seat for a follower of Jesus. We are to care about all people and the prosperity of the world and the, and the, and so, um, but if I'm the president of the United States, I'm now put in a position where I am a nationalist and I have one primary concern and it is the prosperity of my nation. Sure. And I've been empowered and called and held responsible for the security of my nation. And that would be that stewardship argument again. Exactly. Right? You've been given that responsibility. Yeah. So I think I would, and this is where I've imagined me being in politics before, where I might do things politically that would upset Christians like crazy because I wouldn't do them as a Christian in my role as a citizen, but I would do them as a governor. And for example, um, when the whole debate came about gay marriage, you know, should, should, uh, gay people, same sex people have the, have the right to be married. It was my political position. If I were in the government, I would say that their rights should be protected across the board. So they should be able to, visit one another in the hospital. They should be able to have, because there are times when if uh, prior to these kind of changes mm-hmm. where a same sex couple who've lived together for their whole lives, one of them's dying and their partner cannot contribute to their life decisions there. Mm. Um, there's just they all kinds of, all like, kinds of angles yeah, there. Yeah. And so uh, it would be the responsibility of a government to say all of our citizens rights are protected so that they can live their lives within the boundaries of what is legal and they can do so with prosperity and, and uh, with life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Right. Right. But as a, but as a Christian, I might have a different view about whether there should even be gay marriage, but as a governor, I'm going to protect their right for that. Sure. So this is a this is a it's a really interesting question, and uh, I'm curious since you know we didn't as with all of these podcasts we don't script any of this. No. We start For with better the topic, or worse. and we have yeah. That, <laughs> we might get some feedback in our email saying, "Hey, you really ought to script these because this yeah. rambles." Um, I'm curious. We started the conversation with you feeling like, okay, I don't want to engage politically, mm-hmm. and and I want to not engage, and I want to feel good about not engaging. <laughs> I want well, to, to clarify, I sleep like a baby at night, not engaging. It's not an issue for me of, <laughs> of, uh, of crisis. It's just, yeah. uh, um, what curious if it should be an issue of crisis. So has this conversation been helpful to you or should we delete this entire recording? Cause it's not helpful <laughs> to anyone. I think it's, it's helpful in general and it is helpful for me in not completely cause I have the tendency to, again, talking about extremes. I have the tendency to just not even be concerned about it. Um, And when we, for me, I just have, you know, sovereignty is such a complicated issue where it's hard for me to read that God has appointed the uh, 
times and borders of the nations on earth. Yeah. And to even feel responsible at all. Yeah. Um, and I know that that is too far to one end. Um, so I have, I felt convicted in this and, uh, I'm not going to stop voting. The voting is never really, uh, I've never minded that so much as being a part of the global, uh, or global again, is huge. The, the national, um, dialogue, right. That for me, that's the one that makes me, uh, puts a, you know, makes my stomach tight. Yeah. Um, so I still don't know. I don't know if anything will change as far as that, but, um, as far as my view on our responsibility, that has changed. And I'm glad that we, I don't think we need to d- delete this podcast, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, so I think my takeaways, mm-hmm. and we'll wrap this up, my takeaways, the ahas I've had while we've had the conversation are, first of all, that I should be praying my head off for my country. Yeah. I should be praying for for rulers and governors and in my state, and my city. You know, we we live in a region where uh, the the issues are significant how mm-hmm. do we how do we address homelessness and uh there's a there's a whole lot going on in our part of the world uh, part of the country that's important so um i should pray not only for the national leaders but also for my local ones yeah. and so the power of prayer that that really has been what provoked, provoked my heart during this conversation is holy cow i should be doing that more sure because i am then calling on god to exercise his sovereignty and to protect and to prosper and to and to guide, so I'm aligning myself with his activity. I think that's huge. So that's my big conviction coming out of this is mm-hmm. I I really should pray more. The other one is that awareness that it doesn't take very many voices in the ear of a senator or a representative or a leader for them to realize, hey, people care about this. Yeah, I didn't know that that twenty uh, twenty letters part. That's that's very uh, interesting. Yeah. So when you get an issue that is important to you on your faith compass, drop in an email, something as simple as dropping an email to the office of your representative, your senator, your senator, mm-hmm. or even in your city, your city councilman. Um, these people live to get reelected. And when the people who vote tell them what they want, they listen. <laughs> and especially if a bunch of them do. Yeah. So there's a lot of power in there that we are underutilizing. Sure. I believe it. Yeah. So, uh, man, thanks for listening today. Thanks for being a part of the Jim and John podcast. We invite you to join us on our podcast with Jim and John upstream with Jim and John. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, thanks for listening to us and being a part of this. We want to invite you to, uh, make some comments and, uh, visit our website at Jim and Hashtag no H in the John. Yeah, just J-I-M-J-O-N. Yeah, Jim and John. Yeah. And spell out and. Jimandjohn.com. And there you can read our pod. You can read our, uh, you can look at other podcasts, but you can read our blogs. Mm -hmm. You can see a book that we've written together. Um, You can engage in other ways with us. And then we're also on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so uh, visit us there at Jimandjohn1 on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And Jim and John on Instagram. Yeah, and on the website there are links to those too. So if you want to start there, it's a good place to go. We post on our blog uh, multiple times a week, and uh, whenever we are able to to kick out another book or ebook, they'll be on there as well. Yeah, that's great. And be sure and subscribe and uh, subscribe to the podcast and set your notifications so you get get notified when a new episode comes out. And we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at jimandjohn.com. And let us know what you think about the podcast. Give us things you wish we would talk about. 
Uh, give us some feedback, some comments. We'll reply when possible and love to hear from you. So thanks a bunch. Have a wonderful day and uh, God bless you. Thank you.